Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 22. Our sermon text for this morning is John three twenty-two through 36. Before we read that together, let's pray together. Our Father, we just sang, were the whole realm of nature ours, that would be a present far too small, uh, because your love is so amazing and so incredible that it, it demands our everything. We can never repay you, and nor should we try, because your love is a gift of your grace. And Father, we pray that as we look at your word this morning, you would open our hearts more and more to that gift of grace, uh, that we would uh, better know Jesus, better know uh, your gospel, uh, more fully rest in your love and mercy uh, when we leave this place. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. John 3, beginning with verse 22. After this... Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Enon near Salim, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi... He who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Have you ever thought what it would be like to be an extra in a movie? Sure, there would be a lot of downtime, waiting around. Uh, Perhaps there would be a clear class distinction between the real stars and the rest of us. But I don't think I would care about any of that if it were the right movie. If I could be an extra on a a Marvel movie set, uh, I would be excited just to be there. If I actually got screen, screen time, well, then I would explode. 
It wouldn't matter that I wasn't the star. Uh, Just to be there would be amazing. Now, maybe it wouldn't be a Marvel movie for you, uh, but just pick your favorite genre, right? And you will likely understand at least a little bit of what I'm talking about. It's funny then that when it comes to life, we all want to be the star of our own show. We think every plot line is about us. And when the plot twists come, our attitude tends to go downhill. It's this almost universal reality that makes John the Baptist such an amazing person. His famous line, he must increase, but I must decrease, is is both a, a redemptive historical reality in time and space. John's work was done. Jesus' work was beginning. It's also an existential necessity. But either way, it was a sign of John's incredible character. We're going to dig into that this morning by looking at three things, the the bitter extras, the real star, and the supporting cast. And what we'll see is that this is not my story. It's Jesus' story, but we do get a part to play as an extra in his drama. And as we talk, you can be thinking about a couple of questions. Uh, Where in life am I bitter that the world does not revolve around me? Where am I jealous of someone else's part in the play? And how would things be different if I saw myself as a supporting role in Jesus' story? So first, the bitter extras. Uh, It's easy to get bitter. It's easy to get bitter and not even notice it. Uh, Things begin to not go your way. Uh, You fail big or some injustice happens. You feel that you are powerless to change. You're stuck. Every day that failure or that injustice kind of eats at you and leaves a bitter taste in your mouth. Sometimes bitterness flows from jealousy. Uh, Not so much that something bad happened to me, but something good happened to you and it should have happened to me. I mean, why do you get all the breaks? Why do you you experience all the success? Why do you have all the fun? John the Baptist very well might have been tempted to jealousy and bitterness. At least his disciples seemingly were. Our story picks up in chapter 3, verse 22, where uh, Jesus and his disciples go into the Judean countryside, which was the rural areas around Jerusalem. And there Jesus was baptizing, although a few verses later in John, in chapter 4, verse 2, just to clarify, uh, John will tell us that Jesus himself was not baptizing, only his disciples were baptizing. And they were baptizing in the area of Anon, which means fountain or springs, because there was water readily available there. John also was baptizing in that same area. And the gospel writer notes that John had not yet been put in prison. Uh, And he wants to clarify the timeline. You see, the other gospel writers talk about the arrest of John as the beginning of Jesus' ministry in Galilee. But the Gospel of John tells us something they do not, that Jesus had a ministry prior to that in Judea. And so it's that location, Judea, that actually explains something that is puzzling in one of these verses. Uh, Again, we read in verse 25, Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. 
Now, what's odd about this statement is that almost certainly all of John's disciples were Jewish, as we uh, understand and use that term. And so it makes little sense to contrast John's disciples with a certain Jew. And what trips us up is this. The, the, the Greek word Jew could also be translated Judean. In that day, the nation of Israel was divided into a couple of regions, two being Galilee and Judea. And when John uses the term Jew or Judean, much of the time he means not Jew versus Gentile, but Judean versus Galilean. Jesus' primary opposition came not from his native Galileans, but from Judea, hence from the Jews, or better, the Judeans. And so a certain Judean in the region of Judea begins to argue with some of John's disciples. They're arguing over purification, almost certainly over baptism, which is the obvious topic at hand. And they end up coming to John and saying this in verse 26. They say, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. Now, this could just be an observation, but that's not likely. You know, I've often said to my boys, nobody is ever just saying. You know how we use that phrase? Oh, I'm just saying. No, we're always saying for a reason. And the same is true here, right? John's disciples bring this up with John for a reason, And you could think about it this way, right? If a businessman starts a business, you know, making widgets, and that business grows and the sales rise, and uh, he even mentors other businessmen, including businessman number two, and then businessman number two goes off and starts his own widget-making business, and it too begins to grow even bigger, making more money, and he begins to steal business away from businessman number one, what are businessman number one's friends going to say? Hey, hey, that's not fair, right? He's stabbing you in the back. How how do we stop people from leaving us for this new competition? And and that, it seems, is what John the Baptist's disciples are saying, right? The, the, The temptation that they're giving into and that John may or may not be tempted to, the temptation is to jealousy. Why are people following Jesus? Should they shouldn't they be following John? Temptation is to bitterness, right? John started this whole baptism in the wilderness thing. Now Jesus has gone and ruined his run. But the fundamental temptation underlying both of those is to believe that John's life is about John, that he's the star of his own show, that he is living his story. You see, if my story is about me and and I'm the star, then when there is conflict in the plot, conflict that's out of my control... I tend to get bitter. Or when someone else takes center stage, I get jealous, envious of their success, coveting their good. And let me ask you, right, what what are some ways you try to make the story of your life about you? Uh, Where are you jealous of people around you? Where are you displeased at someone else's good fortune? Where do you take pleasure in someone else's misfortune? Where are you envious of another success, whether financial or relational relational or familial? Maybe someone else got a raise, but you really deserved it. Or maybe someone else got engaged, but you've been looking for a spouse for years. Or maybe someone else got recognition, but you've been working hard and, and you're more talented than them after all. Where are you jealous or envious or bitter? 
And bitterness is a kind of impotent anger, right? You, you feel powerless, you feel like a, a victim of life's circumstances, and you're not happy about it. Well, wherever you are jealous or envious or bitter, it is almost certainly because on some level you believe that this is your story. Paul Tripp tells a story somewhere of when he was teaching kindergarten, and there was a birthday party for one of the students, and all of the kids sat around the table, and gifts were piled high around the birthday girl. But little Johnny sat at the other end of the table, and he he sat there staring down the birthday girl, leering at the pile of gifts, fuming mad. And Paul had to go over and look little Johnny in the eye and say, Johnny, it's not your party. You know, again, I, I can only imagine what it would be like to be an extra in a movie, but you can imagine at least some extras are looking for their big break. Uh, they don't want to be extras. They want to be the star. And some, perhaps, even have the, the diva mentality to go with it. You can imagine them getting upset at the way they're treated or fuming because they had to do their part over and over or upset at the director for his obvious blindness to their great talent. They have forgotten that they are extras in someone else's show. Which brings us to the next point, which is the real star. John the Baptist didn't take the bait. He knew better than to be jealous of Jesus. And as we look at John, we see three things that that we need to know as well if we are to remember that this is not our story. We need to know the director. We need to know the role our role, and we need to know the star. First, know the director. John says this in verse 27. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from above. John knows who's in charge. He knows that God is directing this play. He knows and he trusts the sovereignty of God. God is a good God who cares for his children And John trusts his father in heaven to give him the right part. What about you? Do you you trust your father? Uh, When you begin to get jealous, can you remind yourself that a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven? If God has given something to someone other than you, then that is the plan of your father in heaven. If God has not given something to you, something you want, something you long for, then that too is the plan of your father in heaven. Do you trust him to do the right thing in your life? So first, John knew the director, and we need to know the director. Second, know your role. John goes on in verses 28 and 29, and he says this, You yourselves bear witness, bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. See, John knows that he is not the Christ. John knows that he is not the bridegroom. This isn't his wedding. John is like the best man, the the friend of the bridegroom. And it's not the best man's job to stand out. It's not his role to be first. He is a supporting role. And his joy is in the exaltation of the groom. Now, it's true that sometimes some of us at some weddings are bitter at the bridegroom or bitter at the bride. Uh, they, you know, you, you're, you're sitting there and you want to be the one exchanging vows, uh, but we know that's not right. 
And most of us can be happy for the person getting married. Our joy is not that this is our party. Our joy is in and for another. John, in particular, had a unique role in history. His job was to introduce the Christ to the world. And he fulfilled that role. His work was complete. He did what God sent him to do. Well, what is your role? Uh, No matter what it is, you're not the star. You're not the bridegroom. This is not your party. So first, know the director. Second, know your role. Third, know the star. If you are are self-centered or or pride and you think that this story is, is about you, if you are jealous of others thinking the story should go your way, frustrated with the plot twists in your life, wondering why God has done what God has done, You've got to know the real star. There there is a litany of things said about Jesus in this passage, all demonstrating his preeminence. Uh, First, Jesus is the bridegroom. Uh, In the Old Testament, God was the bridegroom and Israel was his bride. Isaiah 62 verse 5 says, As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Hosea 2.16 says, In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. When we get to the New Testament, uh, Jesus, as God in the flesh, is revealed as the bridegroom. Jesus calls himself the bridegroom in Mark 2, 19. Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? And Paul calls Jesus the bridegroom in 2 Corinthians eleven two. He says, For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Ephesians 5.25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Revelation 21.9, the church is called the bride, the wife of the lamb. Jesus is the bridegroom. The church, the, the, the faithful remnant of Israel is his bride. It is his party. The gospel writer John goes on to further describe Jesus' preeminence. In verse 31, he is from above. He comes from heaven. Jesus is uniquely from heaven as God incarnate. Verse 34, he is sent from God and speaks the words of God. He is the one upon whom God has poured out the fullness of the Spirit without measure. Verse 35, he is the one whom the Father loves. All things have been given into his hand. Verse 36, he is the one who gives eternal life. Jesus comes as the preeminent one. Of no one else can these things be said. And John the Baptist is happy to decrease recognizing that this was his purpose all along, to introduce people to the one who is worthy. His job was done. His role was over. He would exit stage right of history, and Jesus would take center stage. So that's the the bitter extras and the real star, which brings us to the supporting cast. Are you looking for God to play a supporting role in your story? Or are you trying to find your place in his? God has a story, and there is a main character. It's just not you. But that doesn't mean that we have no part to play. It's not my story. It's it's Jesus' story. But I do get a role, a part in his play as an extra in his drama. What is our role? We see three things in this passage, faith and humility and joy. We'll start at the end of the passage with faith. Uh, John tells us that Jesus is from above, from heaven, and he bears witness to what he alone has seen and heard. 
In John 3.11, Jesus had said to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. In John 1.18, John tells us no one has ever seen God, but the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. You see, Jesus came into the world from the Father to make the Father known. Will you receive his testimony? The Father sent him to speak his words, filling him with his spirit, loving him and giving all things into his hands. So that, according to verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Do you believe in the Son? That's your part in this story. Verse 36 goes on to say, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. If you reject the Son, you remain under the Father's wrath. See, all humanity, because of our sin, lies under the wrath of God. Jesus came to remove that wrath that we might have life. If you reject Jesus, if you ignore his word, if you, if you do not trust him in faith, that the wrath of God remains on you. But whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Faith leads to life. That is the, the central message of John's gospel. We've, we've repeated it again and again as we've gone through the gospel of John. John 20, verses 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now faith is not your only part in the story. Faith is, uh, we, we might say, faith is what gets you the role. But then that role is played out in two more ways in this text. The second is humility. Uh, John says, famously, he must increase, but I must decrease. Now, I said earlier that that was, that was both a, a redemptive historical reality and an existential necessity. Uh, it, it's it's an, a, a redemptive historical reality, meaning that in history, in the history of redemption, John the Baptist had played his role. He had completed his work. He would now, again, exit the stage of history so that Jesus could take center stage. John's role was finished, which means John's role would become smaller and Jesus would become greater. And so John's statement, he must increase, but I must decrease, was just a, a reality of redemptive history. It was part of the story. But it was also a, a, an existential necessity as it is for every one of us. If our lives are to be all that they can be and all that they were meant to be, ironically, we must decrease so that Jesus in us will increase. I just say no to self so that I can say yes to God. Every decision for is a decision against. I need to decide, who is my life about? Is it about me or is it about Jesus? Now, only... If it is about Jesus, will I become all that I was meant to be? That's the irony and the, the counterintuitive logic of grace here. Only if it is about Jesus, only if my life is about Jesus, will I become all I was meant to be. Now, you might still wonder, but why does, why does Jesus get to be the star? Well, there is his intrinsic greatness, right? He's from heaven. He's sent from God. He's bringing God's words, and that's, of course, enough but it may be helpful to know that the one who caused us to decrease, that he might increase, first humbled himself to death that we might have life. Jesus came to decrease that we might increase in a certain sense. He humbled himself to the greatest degree 
and now he has been exalted to the highest place. What we see in Jesus is humility is the path to exaltation. Jesus was exalted to the highest place because he humbled himself to the greatest degree. And now God calls us in 1 Peter 5, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. You see, if you're worried that decreasing, that Jesus might increase, might be bad for you somehow, that you might lose yourself, that this sounds like some kind of a, a codependent relationship, that you, you, are, you are giving up your personhood, well, just look at the cross. Right? Jesus came to decrease, to lose himself, to bear our sin, to give up all rights, to be accused and arrested and condemned, to die in our place on the cross. To the world in that moment, Jesus looked small, diminished. People mocked him, berated him, derided him. Where was this Messiah everybody was talking about? But through becoming small, Jesus became great. By decreasing, he increased. Through death came life. After the grave came the resurrection. After the cross comes the crown. And I promise you, if you lose your life for Jesus' sake, you will find it. And when you decrease that he might increase in your life, only then does your life grow larger than the confines of your little world. And so our role is faith and humility and joy. John the Baptist said, The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. What was John's joy? Because if we understand John's joy, we can understand our own. Our joy, like John's, can be threefold. First, joy that Jesus has come into his own. Why does the friend of the bridegroom rejoice? Because the bridegroom has come. Because the wedding is at hand. You rejoice because your, your friend has come to this point in his life. Our joy is that Jesus has come into his own through the cross and through the resurrection. He has been exalted and he has seen for all that he is. That is our joy. Second, there is joy that I have played my role. John says his joy was complete. And part of that was because his role was complete. He had completed his work. He had played his role. There is joy in serving Jesus. Whatever your work, however mundane in itself, however menial it might seem, there can be joy in changing diapers and sweeping floors because in our work we serve the risen Savior. Finally, there is joy that Jesus has been seen and known and exalted through me. John's role was to point to Jesus. He, he did that in a unique way, right, as the one who introduced Jesus to the world for the first time. But we have a similar opportunity. Every day we can point others away from ourselves and to our Savior. In this way, we decrease and he increases. People see less of us and more of him. That is the desire of my heart. And I hope it is the desire of your heart as well. Believe in Jesus, decrease that he might increase, and you will find joy as an extra in his story. Let's pray. Our Father, give us a greater sight of our Savior. Help us to see him for all that he is, the star of the show, and help us to, to worship him and marvel at him and serve him 
with all that you have given to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.